time for chit chat. Stuck in an elevator with a pregnant woman who's going into labor. Okay, slow down, Vinny. How far apart are the contractions? They're not far enough apart for me. I just wanted to let you know about my study group. Oh, don't be a funny daddy. I'll be your study buddy. I'm about to embark on one of the great challenges of my scientific career. This work right here is going to change history. I think this is going to be our greatest mission. I don't have time to study. I'm never getting to Stanford. I got big plans for you tonight. I got maps. I got charts. I'm going to see you through this because my credibility is on the line. It's at this point that you'll want to start taking notes. Welcome to the Sitcom Study, the podcast where we contemplate the TV shows we grew up with and search for the truth and wisdom within the tropes and cliches. Amy, what kind of very special episode are we talking about today? Today, we are investigating babies who get delivered in confined spaces, be it an elevator or a car. And I think those were the two. One of the most, I would say maybe the first TV trope I ever identified. I can remember being a kid and noticing the same thing happens in every show. It happened before we even get to the ones that we're going to officially talk about. It happened in The Fresh Prince. The Fresh Prince delivers Vanessa Williams's baby in a limousine. It happens in Saved by the Bell. Uh, Zach Morris delivers Mr. Belding's wife's baby in a elevator. The TV shows absolutely loved to do this. So let's start with the obvious question. Um, Have you ever given birth in an elevator? (laughs) I have never given birth in an elevator. Have you? No. Do you? This is a more serious question. Have you ever known anybody who has given birth or was born in in a circumstance that differed, you know, wildly from what they planned in some sort of impromptu, weird situation. No. The only other story like this that I've heard of is Seth Meyers and his comedy special Lobby Baby. Apparently his wife has very brief labors, according to his comedy specials. The first one, his first child was born in the taxi on the way to the hospital, and his second child, they didn't even make it to the taxi and was born in the lobby of their apartment building. But in terms of real people, uh, this doesn't seem to happen that I mean, that's a real person. Right. In terms of people that we (laughs) know. people that we know, no. uh, I've never heard about this happening in real life. But they love to do it on TV They love to do it on TV, though. Uh, What are the shows that we watched for this episode? The shows that we watched for this episode are Night Court, um, Season 7, Episode 24, The Blues of the Birth, Doogie Howser, Season 2, Episode 4, C'est la Vinnie. Home Improvement, Season 6, Episode 9, The Tool Man Delivers, and my personal favorite, Community, Season 2, Episode 21, Applied Anthropology and Culinary Arts. Yes. All right. So so getting right into Night Court, uh, this was not a show that I was into in its original life. Pretty dopey show, I would say. I remember my my parents had a kind of... You know, it was one of those shows when you would see commercials and go like, oh, why don't we watch that? And they'd be like, no, that's stupid. <laughs> you know, yeah, you don't want to watch that. The thing I kept thinking about is, is 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 Night Court a real thing? Like, it it seems like a great idea for a sitcom. It's a workplace 
comedy where your workplace is going to have all these wacky people coming in and out, you know, dealing with, oh, this guy we found, you know, peeing in, in the alleyway. And there's some, you know, some lovable prostitute that we keep hauling in, you know, like you could imagine all the crazy characters that would revolve through uh, a, a setting like that. And I could imagine like, well, maybe they need a court that's open at night to get the process started. So I don't know the way the justice system works in New York City, but when I was a reporter years and years ago in Panama City, Florida, we had the anybody that was arrested overnight, anybody that was arrested at all had to have a first appearance. And so you had to stay in jail until you had your first appearance. And so since there was this was a tiny town in the panhandle of Florida, there was no there was no night court. So first thing in the morning, that was my job when I was a reporter was to go and ch quote, check jails. So I had to see everybody that was arrested overnight, everybody that was hanging out and, you know, just being held in the holding cell, like you see in tons of other shows, that holding cell until yeah. you get bailed out. Well, for certain certain crimes or whatever, you have to have a first appearance. Bail can't be set until you have that first appearance. And so anybody that was arrested in those circumstances in that tiny town had to wait till first appearance the next morning and usually wouldn't get out of jail until like midday the next that next day. So it makes sense in a place as busy and as big as New York that you would have this sort of churning line of first appearances yeah, of all the hours. right of all the like prostitutes and johns and flashers and you know drunken public and public right. urination and all that kind of stuff which that's the comedy of the show is all these like exactly. funny characters coming through so watching it now uh the first thing that struck me is uh harry anderson you know is is supposed to be he's he's the center of the show and I feel like he's, you just see how the 80s was very much this time of like, we're done with the sort of strapping tough guys. Like now, you know, Woody Allen and Albert Brooks and Billy Crystal have ushered in this new era of sort of like dweebs, like little nebbishy, nerdy guys to be the center of, you know, the movie or the show. And I feel like you had this the sort of spectrum of like Woody Allen is on one end. And then on the other end, you have someone like Alan Alda, who's also kind of like an intellectual, nice guy, sort of a guy, but you could, you could see him throwing a punch, you know, you could see right. him having a little bit of a right. chutzpah to him. And boy, this Harry Anderson uh, judge character is like way on the Woody Allen side of the spectrum to me. Oh, I don't think, I think he's lovable. I think he's a nice guy. Like he, he's like a good foil to the two attorneys, right? You know, because you've got John Larroquette's character who is a total dick. Like yeah. he, you know, he is not any better than the scammers and schemers that are coming through this court. By the way, quick Google search, night court is actually a thing in New York City. Okay. It runs from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m. Yes. And it's a tourist attraction. People go and watch it happen because of the TV show. Oh. That's pretty, pretty funny. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's a foil. I think Harry's character, Harry Anderson's character is a foil to particularly John Larroquette with just the way. I mean, he's always got some scheme going. He always has some pervy joke to be made. He's always running around on some woman. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, well, he's if, basically, if, you know, unredeemable. 
And then Marky Post is the hard-ass feminist. You know, they wrote, so the, the story of this episode and this whole season is that she found out she was pregnant right before they started shooting. And so they wrote her pregnancy and that quickie marriage into the season so that she could, you know, not have to carry briefcases around and laundry baskets in a courtroom as you usually do. <laughs> sure. And all that makes sense. And uh, yeah, of course, just in general, if the setting is going to have all of these, yeah, sort of like low lives and weirdos, the more nebbishy the main character is, you know, just the more overwhelmed and it 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 makes sense as a comedy dynamic. Yeah, but he can he can do the oh I'm so shocked, you know, and aghast exactly. that people would act this way because he sees the world through these rose-colored right. glasses. I was just surprised by just just like I said, everything that the sort of tenor of his voice and his whole persona was just a notch or two more just more sort of wimpy than uh, than I was expecting. But anyway, the the story of this episode is that what's what's her name, the lawyer? Marky Post, her name is oh, Christine. Okay, so she's obviously been pregnant like you said that they've been building up to this for however many episodes. And the whole the the show has this sort of like it takes a village kind of feel where Everyone else is just as prepared and concerned or more prepared and concerned about the pregnancy than she is. And the whole sort of cold open gives us this sort of glimpse into all the crazy machinations that they've been doing, getting ready for her to have birth. Right. Give birth. Including a uh, chopper coming past that, well, the lights of the chopper sort of mm. shining into the window and the walkie-talkie, you know, chopper one calling down to the judge to yeah. get it all situated. And so basically she goes into the elevator with Harry Anderson's dad. So it's it's John Astin from the Munsters is uh, doing a sort of... Um, not the monsters, the Adams, Adams family. family. Yeah, he's a sort of recurring character, probably where right. he plays the judge's dad. He plays the judge's dad, who was released from a mental institution at the beginning of the season, and is now living with Harry, the judge. And um, you know, we're on season seven, so he's they're bringing in more colorful characters mm -hmm. to spice up storylines and do something different because they've yeah. been well, they've they've had fourteen million flashers and prostitutes at this point. They've run out of jokes. Sure. And speaking of colorful characters, she gets into the elevator with that guy, the judge's dad, and this random, uh, just sort of like nerdy fat Stephen guy. Stephen first. Uh, yeah, a very uh, familiar character actor who's just kind of like, meh, meh, I'm, I'm uptight and you're, don't bother me. Uh, you know, just, just, a, a, just a random, you know, wacky character. Yeah, he's Flounder from Animal House. Mm -hmm. And predictably, the, the elevator doesn't even like randomly stop, right? They do something to make it stop. Yeah, she has a contraction and she leans against the wall and presses the stop button because mm -hmm. she puts her hand on the wall and, um, and then Buddy goes to pull the stop button back out so the elevator will start up again and the whole button comes out. Yeah. And so at that point, I don't know, you've got the whole rest of the cast sort of accumulating out in the hallway, sort of realizing like, right. oh, no, they're trapped in the elevator. And occasionally you see inside the elevator, but it sort of becomes this device where most of the time 
the pregnancy stuff is happening off screen and they try to sort of milk the the humor out of like you're you're staying with the sort of main motley crew of people out in the hallway and you're hearing and the sort of echoey you know from off to the side you're hearing her moaning in the yeah. elevator shaft well and they have this weird device to keep the people in the lobby hallway of their um, whatever floor they're on. They say they're on the 18th floor, but later at the end when Bull gets into the elevator and they do the gag where the elevator crashes and then Bull is now like three feet shorter than he normally is, that's the end of the episode. By the way, Bull was a character when I was a kid that when I randomly would tune in or see my parents watching this, the bull jokes hit just right for me sure. when I was like seven years old. Yeah, they were, I wasn't picking up. They was... were very funny. They are no longer funny <laughs> as a grown up. It's his whole pulling faces thing is just no good. But anyway, um, they say a couple of times they're on the 18th floor, but then when he gets in the elevator and they, it shows the elevator crashing, the elevator button only goes up to 12, the, mm. the dial. So I thought that was an oopsie. But yeah, so they're calling down in the elevator shaft and they there happens to be an elevator engineer in the building because I'm doing work somewhere else. They get him over there. He shines his flashlight down that's not turned on and tells them that they can't um, jump down onto the car, which is only like just a floor or so below because that would make it crash. That would be deadly. Yes. If there is any sudden change in weight, in the elevator, the elevator will uh, plummet. automatically plummet. Uh, <laughs> And he said, yeah, this is the one where he's the, the elevator repairman has no like value on human life because he's like, the elevator will be fine. And they're like, what about the people? And he's like, oh, you just mop them up. <laughs> he didn't even care. He's like, what are you talking about? His whole focus of his whole character is I care about the elevator. All right. So the only real other story element of this is that her baby daddy comes back to town, right? Right. And this so is her husband. They had like a brief romance and he's some sort of like ATF or, or DEA agent and he's gone – goes down to South America to do, you know, different whatever undercover things he's got going on and so he's not around very much. So earlier on in the season, they had a quickie wedding because he was going off and she didn't yet know that she was pregnant and they, you know, they were madly in love and it was this really impulsive thing that was totally outside of her character. She's the one that has always been like again talk about a foil to you know, John Larroquette's character, she was very like, you know, type A, get everything done, do everything right kind of person. And this was totally out of character for her to just have this like whirlwind romance and marry this guy on a whim. And then, and then he leaves. And so, and then we have this episode after he's gone where she finds out that she's pregnant. So that was the setup much earlier in the season that we didn't see. And so, yeah, there's obviously history that we're not, you know, getting from this episode, but it's easy enough to understand this guy comes back he doesn't even know that she's pregnant let alone having a baby as they speak in the elevator so he's asking the other characters oh where is she and they're like oh you're you know you're gonna get a surprise when you see her whatever 
but so he he sort of joins in on the action. At some point, they say, "Oh, does anyone have a doctor?" They find a doctor, but ha ha ha, it's a psychiatrist. And the funny, the like funny character in the elevator is like, "Oh, doctor, I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, he's I happy. have trouble with my mother." Yeah, he's happy to hear the psychiatrist. But it's funny you have that that '80s uh, stigma on psychiatry. We still sort of had that attitude of like, "Oh, you go to some guy's couch and talk about your mom. That's weird." Yeah, you know? only these weird little you know, sort of uncomfortable characters would even be interested in psychology. Yeah, exactly. The idea of a psychiatrist considering himself a doctor is like a punchline at this point. But anyway, uh, yeah. And so I, I thought the birth process was pretty uh, easy in, in this representation. They kind of gloss over it. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it happens off screen, which... Honestly, after the first couple of scenes in the elevator where they were showing Marky Post, who you could tell is actually pregnant, not just wearing a belly, where they show her like getting red in the face and being like, I was worried she was going to actually push out her real baby. I was like, that can't be good to like act as though you're having contractions. She's a trained professional. She knows how to <laughs> it was just she getting knows worried how to go through the motions. She knows how to go through the motions and not actually push. Uh, but yeah, so that all happened off screen. What did they What did they end up doing? They didn't. The, were they, the they were able to get the elevator come. up. Yeah, like they they eventually just kind of figure it out. It's one of those things like they're not quite in time for the birth, but she gives her birth off screen relatively quickly and easily. And the you know by the time they let her out of the elevator, right, that's what happened because the, they had pried the doors open, and then all of a sudden they're standing there and they're having all of their they're yelling down the shaft, and she's having the baby, and then in the middle of all of that hullabaloo, the doors close again. And they're like, what's going on? What's going on? And the elevator engineer guy reappears and is like, it's coming back up. So yeah, it's coming back up. And then the paramedics have been waiting there because they couldn't find a doctor, but they could find a whole team of paramedics who were well, who have now called them. Who have now taken the stairs. Yeah. <laughs> and so they're there. And yeah, and then she comes out, and this is I knew this was gonna happen before it happened, right? So the paramedics go in, there's a few moments. You never hear the baby cry. You like, you know, there's not enough time to do any of the things except wipe off the gunk mm -hmm. that has been on everybody. And everybody comes out clean as a whistle. And Marky Post uh, has a blanket over her legs. And one of her legs is sticking out from the blanket with her pantyhose still on intact. As you do when you give birth, your pantyhose stay on. She didn't need John Aston or Buddy, as he's called in this episode or in this show, to catch the baby. She had her own built-in baby <laughs> hammock. Uh, yeah, everything resolves like beautifully right like the 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 husband comes back and is like oh great you're you just had a baby and it's my baby and i'm a dad unexpected but fine and then they're together now and yeah i think this one is a little different in its focus than the other ones we're going to talk about i feel like this one was more about isn't it charming how everyone came together to help her, right? And how, like we were saying, it's such a group effort and everyone was so invested in supporting her. But then it just sort of ended up being this kind of, this very sort of gentle version of like, well, hey, you can't plan for everything and uh, best laid plans kind of go awry, but you know, it's fine anyway. 
And that was kind of all I really took from it. No, there was no, there was really no lesson to learn. This also was a season finale with like no cliffhanger, no, like really, really, they were just like, I know what we can do for the season finale. We can have a baby in an elevator. And like, that was it. That was I think what these shows struggle with is that having a baby in life is such a monumentous thing, but it's not really a great premise for an episode because most of the time it is like you go to a hospital and stay there for a long time and it's painful and boring and it sucks. And uh, that's why they have to come up with stuff like this because childbirth is is weirdly like both thrilling and, and boring at the same time. Okay, uh, let's move on to Doogie Howser. So this episode is season two, episode four, Say La Vinny. Vinny ends up getting stuck in an elevator with his pregnant French teacher. Yeah. Now, this one I did watch a lot as a kid. We were very into Doogie Howser. Yeah, it, it begins with this ridiculous uh, faux pas where, where Vinny, he didn't do his French homework. Well, he so, did do his French homework, but it was all erased and he had holes in it because he couldn't make it make sense. Right. He's bad at French. So he has to get up and read uh, a letter out loud. So he just takes off of uh, his friend Wanda's desk, sight unseen, a little folded up piece of paper that happens to be a letter written in French, but it's her love letter to her boyfriend, Doogie that he reads out loud to the class. His French is so bad, he doesn't even understand that what he's reading is a love letter to his own best friend. It is very contrived and silly. Until he gets to the last two words, which are Doogie Hauser. Yeah. But it establishes that he sucks at French. He's got this uh, pregnant French teacher that has sort of had it with him because he's such a goofball and he doesn't put in any effort. And then we find out his relationship with Doogie is on the skids for the same reason. He's like, doesn't my French teacher suck? And Doogie, you know, they're back at in Doogie's bedroom just hanging out. And Doogie's like, no, you suck. I kind of am sick of you too. You're not serious about anything. And uh, we've all had it. So I had forgotten that Vinny, very much like Sam in Clarissa Explains It All, only comes in through the window. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, Yeah, like the boyfriend in Scream. Uh, Yeah, he's uh, part of a grand tradition of uh, friends and lovers that come in through the bedroom window. Yeah, so, uh, well, I guess what I would say is this establishes the trope that I think is going to continue in some of these episodes. Um, Delivering baby as rite of passage for a man, <laughs> right? I don't know about rite of passage for a man, but right as a as a rite of passage. Well, it's always a guy that is uh, in the sort of driver's seat in these next few episodes. So, yeah, Vinny ends up stuck in the elevator with the French woman. She starts giving birth. He calls Doogie to sort of like walk him through it. It's very funny. Vinny goes, I thought I was going to make something of my life. As though like being stuck in the elevator with this pregnant woman is like this irreversible blight on his, you know, on his path through life. Well, so you also have to think that being stuck in an elevator without child, like without (laughs) giving birth to a kid is scary, right? 
Mm-hmm. If you get stuck in an elevator, you have that thought of like, is this it? Like, is, this the end? Am, mm-hmm. I, is it, am I going to crash? Like, is this yeah. it? And so I wonder if that more came from that or just also, I mean, Vinny in this episode is ridiculous. He, it's like, he has zero self-awareness. Everyone in his life is like, dude, you're being so entitled right now like do homework yeah pay attention in class you know what just pick one class do something and that was what doogie was saying <laughs> you know it's yeah. like man just just do one thing just do something what i thought was hilarious about this episode was he was on the phone like he called doogie from the phone in the elevator mm-hmm or no, he called like it's a one direction line, right? So he said, "Come on, even prisoners get one phone call." Oh yes, he asked, and he the, asked elevator. the elevator service place to connect him to Doogie, and then so he did. And then Doogie doesn't want to take the call because they had this fight, but he takes it. And then Doogie's like, "I'll be right there." Yeah, as though Doogie being in the school building is going to help him anymore like wouldn't it be better to just stay home on the phone and yeah and deliver the baby like that way like help that way but no doogie goes to the school and has a suitcase cell phone from that he uses to call the phone in the elevator that he now has the number to to all the latest tech all the latest tech but he's got the phone he's got the phone number to the elevator so he can call it back yeah, right. That, Off that's, the suitcase cell phone. He's got ways of finding that. But but g- going back to the lady, unlike the character in Night Court, has no support system whatsoever, right? Like there's this mention of a, a husband. Her husband. But there's like, there's everything is, is Vinny's cast of characters that are like accumulating in the hallway around the elevator this time to like support him in what he's going to have yes, to do. Yes, there's no principal. There are no co- like coworkers or or you know colleagues of this woman who is a you know beloved French teacher at this school, I'm sure. Yeah, no, she's on her own. Nobody thinks to call her husband. We start getting some actionable pregnancy tips in this one. I started notating them because we get some of those uh, also in in the other shows. You need to make sure you have a shirt or some kind of rag, right? right. Because babies are slippery. Yes. So that's the first thing we learn is is if there is a baby, uh, you know, because they're trying to tell Vinny, like, look. It takes hours. You're not, not going to have to deliver this baby. But if you do... Here's a few things you might want to know. It's you're going to need a shirt or something. Uh, Vinny had a very specific way of dressing, which I emulated at this time, which was always like a T-shirt with some silly design on it. And then an open button down shirt with like one of those 80s, early 90s patterns. Um, So he's uh, he's prepared selflessly willing to take off his wacky outer shirt and use that as a. Swaddling baby blanket. Right. So he's ready with that. Doogie tells him, you're going to need to, uh, you know, uh, root around in the baby's mouth and get rid of any mucus or anything. So So the the baby baby can breathe. Right. So the baby doesn't choke. Then we, we sort of once again, like Night Court, get a sort of off camera I, I put this one's more intimate than Night Court, but still makes birth seem pretty quick and easy. Yeah, so it's still off camera, but what we get in this one that we don't get in the other one is 
the adolescent boy having to look up the skirt of his French teacher to see whether or not she's crowning. Right, right. And uh, that's pretty traumatizing uh, to Vinny. We get a, a good reaction shot. But yeah, it, it gets a little more down and dirty than the Night Court one. But it's still kind of like, all right, a few minutes later and we're hearing, uh, you know, the lovable cries of a of a newborn child. And, uh, you know, they, they get her out of the elevator and everything. Sure. And so not only did Doogie have uh, the number to the phone in the elevator, which mm-hmm. is preposterous, and mm-hmm. then also this like suitcase cell phone that he's carrying around with him. Standard. Standard. But when the child and the mother come out then Doogie magically has a metal clipboard like the ones that hang on the end of a hospital Mm -hmm. bed he's got one of those because they do they carry those around in ambulances? Sure. Maybe she kept it with her at all times? Yes. So he was able to sign off on her chart Mm -hmm. uh, for this birth as she's being wheeled off into... He has assumed the role of her doctor. Right. It just made... I was like, I know you have these props, but do you need to use these props? Like, do, Do we have this clipboard in the high school? And so this is what I mean by, like, I'm not trying to say that it's it's sexist or anything like that, but... I feel like this entire episode is very much framed as like, there was this guy named Vinny Delpino. He was a little lost in life. He didn't know what he was doing, didn't know which way was up. And then life gave him a challenge. He had to look up the skirt of his French teacher and deliver a baby in an elevator with nothing but his friend, the teenage doctor on the phone, to help him. And so it ends with him coming out of the elevator, like totally shell-shocked with this scene that I was honestly not sure how to take the tone of it. Like, I wasn't sure how tongue-in-cheek it was supposed to be, where Vinny kind of walks out shell-shocked. There's dozens of people in the in the high school hallway just kind of staring at him. And Doogie starts doing the slow clap, right? <laughs> and then everyone starts starts joining in and it's like the end of Rudy or something. They're all so proud of him. You did it, yeah. Vinny. No, they're not clapping, by the way, for the woman who just gave birth so in saying, an she's elevator. On, she's been carted off already. <laughs> they, she's on her way to the hospital. And that's what I mean where it's like, it's like, of course, it goes without saying the woman, like that was a big deal too. But the show is all it's about It's all about Vinny. Vinny's and he journey. comes out and he is... Again, totally clean because this shirt that he had was able to catch all of the gunk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he hugs his girlfriend, which I have been a teenage girl. And I don't know that I would be interested in hugging my boyfriend yeah, <laughs> at that it's, point. It's fraught. There's, uh, there's, there's a lot of sides to that. I feel like, ew, did you look at her vagina? Gross. Yeah, but they uh the the community embraces him. Yep. Um do- and they all realize that he is now more responsible than he was before because he has the little exchange with the French teacher of like, you know, I kept she's like I kept my end of the bargain. 
now you have to keep yours. He goes, Vinny goes to visit his friend's teacher in the hospital. Yeah. And see the baby. And the, his end of the bargain is French lessons. And so she's going to work extra hours unpaid. Yeah, it's all part of his journey. After she has just given birth and is on maternity leave. Yeah. The important part is that he delivered a baby and committed to learning French. Committed to learning French. So, you know, at some point he's going to learn French, but first he's going to fail French because ostensibly she'll be out for the next six to eight weeks on maternity yeah, leave. Well, there'll be a sub. Who yeah. will not have the instruction to don't fail this kid because I'm going to give him private lessons in six well, to eight weeks when I return. Yeah. Oh, uh, shit. There's, can't be sure how that's going to play out. Uh, Doogie sums it all up in his little diary entry on his WordPerfect computer. He, he says uh, something about Vinny delivered a small boy, and then I wrote this down verbatim, and the boy delivered a man. And the boy delivered a man. Oh, God. It was so so cheesy. Okay. But what I have to say about both of these episodes, I am, like you, more familiar with Doogie Hauser than I am Night Court, but I did watch more Night Court than you did growing up. It was just, you know, I think, like I said, th that character bull I thought was funny when I was little. So I'd watch it every now and then and on reruns and stuff too. Both of these shows are departures. Like they aren't normal shows. They 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 don't have the normal flow of a Night Court or a Doogie Hauser. First mm -hmm. of all, they're not focused on the dynamic between the main characters in the way that they usually are. Like in Night Court, that show is all about the funny hijinks that are going on and J John Larroquette cracking jokes. He was like barely in that episode and he was the best part I, from what I remember, obviously, you know, bull. But <laughs> when yeah. I remember, I thought I used to think he was funny because like the audience was always laughing at his jokes and same with this doogie is like an ancillary character in this episode definitely i think these are and this will absolutely continue in the other ones uh they're bottle episodes right is what they like to call this they're they're it's a good opportunity for them to kind of put them in another setting and have sort of change of pace self-contained i think we're going to get that with the home improvement and the uh community you could drop it in anywhere in the season, you're saying? Partly that. Partly they're, they're like physically sort of contained to one place. So it becomes this sort of crucible of like, we don't need an A, B, C story. Like everything is happening here, here. together. Yeah. And yeah, it's a sort of self-contained story. But yeah, I agree. And and by this time, I think they were just starting to do Vinny episodes. Mm. You know, they were just starting to be like, well, look, I, everyone loves Vinny. He's everything I mean, who that doesn't Doogie love isn't. Max Casella? Come on, Newsies all day. Yeah. And so I think sometimes they were like, yeah, we're going to have one that's that's about Vinny. Yeah. Um, so just for, um, you know, for clarity's sake, the Night Court episode, May 2nd, 1990, the Doogie episode, October 3rd, 1990. Wow, so so very falling, close. falling on either side of the summer. All right. Shall we move on to Home Improvement? Home Improvement. I had forgotten that how problematic this show is. Oi. 
I did not enjoy this. I did not enjoy this show. I I was sad. I remember watching this. I remember liking Wilson. I remember, you know, I was I'm a little too old to be a JTT, you know, fangirl. So that wasn't my that wasn't my bag. But I used to think this show was funny. And man, this is just like Jill is so put upon with her dumbass husband. You know what I mean? Yeah. Ugh. I think it's supposed to be, I mean. It's built into the humor that he's dumb and she's smart. And so I guess you could argue it's got like a feminist side to it in the sense of like, hey, ladies, aren't men stupid? And doesn't it suck that we have to put up with them? Yeah, yeah, this was this was a lot. Anyway, so this episode is The Tool Man Delivers. It is from... Season six, episode nine. Yeah. Starts with one of those classic Tim Allen joke structures I noted where he gets mad at the kids for doing something bad or destructive. But uh, the twist is it's because it wasn't destructive enough, right? It's always like, oh, you, you drove the car in the house. Well, why didn't you use the turbo engine? You know, it's something like right. that. Something ridiculous. And he is just as misogynistic and completely unaware of his own assholishness to his sidekick, Al. Oh, yeah. It's awful. Like, it's not a joke. You're just a dick. Yeah. Uh, and Al, who is like, it's funny, you were saying you're too old for JTT. Al is a smoke show, in my opinion. I mean, you, you're into the lumberjack look. Well, that's the, I just watching him now. I got a roll of paper towels you might find hot. Cause now, now we're older than him, right? Than he I, was I so. when, when he was shooting. Yeah, I'll most. look it up. And it just struck me as he's one of those guys. He's got that very unique body type that's meant. To come across like they can make fun of him on the show for being quote unquote fat. Right. But he's actually like in pretty good shape. And that even kind of became a joke throughout the show. It's like the ladies like Al. The ladies like um, Al. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't remember that. I think so. Maybe not universally, but I feel like that was a thing is like, you know, because Tim is so sort of boorish and yeah. it's like he's got that bravado and it's like, haha, people actually prefer Al. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think Al, uh, very handsome. But so, uh, yeah, this is all about they're on their way to some sort of event. Right. right? So he's getting like car. He, Tim is getting car man, the car man of the year award at some hot rod club because he built he has built this hot rod. So he's going. This is another road trip where, you know, they things go awry, just like in the Family Matters yeah. episode. He, they, so his assistant is the one that's pregnant. And this was the revolving right, door hiding. cast member. It used to be Pamela Anderson. Right. So <laughs> he pressures Heidi into going to this thing, even though she doesn't want to. He's, he's pregnant. pressuring everybody. And like, no one wants to come. It's two hours driving away. Nobody wants to go to this banquet for his silly award about cars. Like, nobody cares. And so he's like, you guys got come and the kids want to go, but the mom, you know, Jill says no, cause it's a school night. And so off they go and Heidi says, no, come on. I go to bed early now. I'm not doing it. And, and he's like, oh, but we'll, you know, it'll be fine. We'll get you back. You know, we'll take the hot rod. We'll drive fast, whatever. It'll be fine. So, 
So she agrees, and then right. So the three, it's the three of them in a car together, right? right? Because Al Tim, and Wilson mm-hmm, successfully get to this place. Right. And the only thing I want to say about that is the the most famous thing about Home Improvement, right, is that Wilson behind the fence. You never saw his face. And this is and, one of these later episodes. And it's lazy as hell. Because, He's like covering his face with yeah, his hand uh, the me, whole time. It's not like the whole joke with Wilson is you have to contrive some way. If you're going to take him away from that fence, you have to contrive some way that you don't see the, the bottom half of his face. You right. have to have him standing behind something Austin Powers style. And in this they just have him covering his face with his hands. Yeah, the He's way they contrived there. it was that he had to, for some reason, when he was holding the phone, but like cover that, his mouth. Yes, but even yeah, when he's on the phone, they do it sort of like I'm, you know, I'm like being polite or something and covering my. But even before he answers the phone, he's just sort of sitting at the table, leaning on his hand, right, facing uh, away from the camera. He's got a hat on. Yeah, yeah. and so they're just like. No, uh, it's like they just forgot about that part of the character. And he was like, oh, hey, director, uh, you know, I'm not you're not supposed to see my face. Right. And they're like, oh, just put your hand over it, dummy. <laughs> and this was directed by a very famous, um, very famous sitcom director and former actor that we've watched in uh, episodes of Newhart. He was the neighbor, the pilot neighbor across the hall in Newhart, Peter Bonariz. He has gone on to direct a bunch of sitcom episodes. And this is at least the second, if not third, one of his episodes that we've talked about on the show. He did not have a good handle on the Wilson. (laughs) The Wilson uh, gag. gag. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, so, so there Al and Wilson are at the event. Tim, Jill, and Heidi have car issues. They end up at a uh, sort of gas station with another kind of wacky sitcom character actor giving them guff about, uh, you know, what, you need exact change or some dumb thing like that. Yeah, see, there's just fun little wordplay going on with the gas station owner, attendant, yeah, person. Yeah, let him use the bathroom, <laughs> etc. And long story short, they're forced to have the baby there. We get some more practical tips here. Something about pushing the shoulders together. <laughs> right, right. So the so that the it doesn't rip the baby's shoulders don't rip the mom. So you squish them. You squish the child up like this, so that like this, like you guys can see me. Uh, you squish the shoulders so they're sort of narrow, right. like the head. That, that I didn't. I have to say. I mean, these are things I didn't know. I didn't know about clearing the mucus and smushing the shoulders together. So didn't know these things. In helpful. case you ever have to deliver yeah, a baby helpful in a on that small level. space. Yeah. So what I don't understand though, what was the contrivance for them coming back? Was it because she had gone into labor? Because so Tim so the the reason they ended up off uh, not on the highway was there was a an accident or some traffic jam or something on the highway and then Tim had to be like oh, 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 let me show off and drive his hot rod car like off roading and over uh, some some river and got on some back road and then they ran out of gas and in, instead of like blaming himself because it's his fucking car he's like jill what do you mean you just looked at the gauge whoever looks at the gauge why didn't you put gas in jill like jill would ever drive his long ass penis hot rod well and what he's saying is absurd of course you look at the gas gauge to get the 
Well, and not even that, but like, why would you blame your wife? You, She doesn't drive your stupid yeah. hot rod. So he takes off on foot to go find a gas station. He says there's a gas station a couple miles back, blah, blah, off he goes. And then when he gets back to the car with the gas can is when he finds out that Heidi's having the baby, right? So that's why they turn around and go back to the gas station instead of continuing I on. I guess probably, or there might be some... Second issue with the car, I vaguely remember there being maybe a joke like, oh, ha ha, now the the fuel gauge is, I don't know. Like, Well, they were making a joke about a deer because cause Tim didn't want to tell the people at the award ceremony that, that he'd he run, run out, out of gas. gas. So, so instead of saying that, A, there was traffic, which is why he was originally going to be late, or B, that there was an issue with his gas gauge, because that would be embarrassing to a man, then he just lies and said he, like, hit a deer. Yeah, because that's manly and it impresses your friends. Um, totally. Yeah. So, but yeah. So anyway, so I guess that's why. They don't know where the hospital is, so they come back to the gas station to get to a phone or, or something. Or it's just she goes into labor and they have no choice. It's they just, you know, that's a warm place that's, that's close by. Close by. Uh, and again... We don't necessarily get a diary entry uh, applauding him, but there's, there's, they start playing this music and the whole thing is presented in this very tender way of like, oh, Tim the Toolman Taylor, he can be an idiot, but God damn it, he, he comes through. And again, though, this doesn't make any damn sense because you have the woman who has given birth to three children saying, I'm going to stand here and help her with her breathing. You go down there and catch the baby. That just yes. seems like the opposite well, thing. That you're like, if you, like, you want to know what his job was when she had her kids? To stand there and help her with her breathing. He knows how to do that. You know what's happened at the other end. Swap places. Why yeah. are we putting these men in these situations i think his expertise with fuel cylinders and, and stuff he knows about gaskets and, and, uh, yeah it's so stupid it's he so knows stupid about gaskets it's presented again as just this weird sort of rite of passage of like what is the last thing you would ever expect a guy like this to have to deal with because he's gonna deal with it and he's gonna Come out on top. He's going to make stupid jokes. And so now we get the third installment of a baby being born in an awkward location and nothing being done about the umbilical cord or the attachment that comes well, along with it. So, you know, when... When a when a woman gives birth, the baby comes out, the umbilical cord comes with it, and then behind that is what's called the afterbirth or the placenta, which also is a scent. It's yeah. it comes too, and so either that child, all three of these children are still attached, and that is you know in the the shirts with these kids which in which case you would see all this gunk and everything or they've pulled scissors from somewhere and we just and we just yeah. don't see it and so i mean yeah that's kind of what i mean when i say that in those in in all of them it's kind of quick and easy off camera i wasn't as incredulous as you were about like the night court one for example i just understood it as like some time had passed because so much of that was off camera anyway 
that like, yeah, that, that team had gone in there and done all that. But yeah, obviously this is a very sanitized, just sort of ludicrous uh, presentation of uh, the process of giving birth. These are all born without umbilical cords. That is what we're to understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it just, it, it really sort of lionizes the men that facilitate the births. Again, it doesn't like, I don't think any of these shows have anything against the women, but no, it just, just they wrote these shows to put their male characters in this wacky situation. Exactly. Oh, wait, we have to talk about that after credits sequence where Tim is in the garage and the attendant is like, hey, don't you want a cigar? You know, because you just delivered a baby. And he was like, oh, yeah, thanks. And strikes the match. And the guy goes, you can't smoke in here. And then everything explodes. Yeah. Gas station blows up. That guy was kind of smarmy, so got what, what was coming to him. No, a normal ending to a to a Tuesday evening sitcom well, I is think, everything explodes. Yeah, we mentioned briefly the Night Court episode ended with this Wile E. Coyote-esque gag where Bull is in the elevator that plummets. Right. And so it opens with him standing on his knees like you would in a summer camp you know, comedy skit. He's got his shoes on his knees. He's kneeling into his shoes. Right. But yeah, that that ends with this very silly sight gag yeah. that's just sort of completely tonally inconsistent with everything else. It's just kind of like, hey, everybody, you made it this far. Here's a silly punchline here's to go a, out Here's on. a funny laugh. Well, so apparently this footage that they used at the end of Home Improvement was uh, originally shot and featured in the film Dark Man. Sure. Do you I, know this movie? Darkman is Liam Neeson. Okay. And that's that's how he becomes Darkman as they blow up his his lab. Got it. So that's what that is. I <laughs> did not know that. I just thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's very MacGruber-esque in the sense yes, that you're just you're cutting MacGruber. to a, a stock footage of an explosion. Um okay, community. Now we get to the actual good show. I feel like these are so hard to find when we're doing these trope hunts. So often the shows that, you know, they're like, they're late in the series or they're really early and they haven't found their, their way yet. I don't know, man. I just this, this week watching these shows was kind of a slog and I was so thankful that our last episode was Community Season 2, Episode 21, Applied Anthropology and Culinary Arts. It is the... Still early days of community. We're still in the golden era of community. Mm -hmm. We have the the payoff in this episode of of this the Easter eggs that have been dribbled throughout the season where Abed gay, you know, Abed delivered a baby in the back of a car mm -hmm. earlier in the series behind like off, not off camera, but like in the background of yeah. another scene. He makes mention of it in this. So it's like this beautiful little Dan Harmon Easter egg. And everyone, I remember when I first watched this, I was like, wait, what? What? When did yeah, that happen? He just I don't explains. Remember this he says it was in the background. It wasn't part of the main story. He was like, "It's a, you know, you guys weren't around. You were doing something else or whatever." And so then I, I immediately go back and like start watching all the other episodes, trying to find that moment. I, this show is so good. This is we're still in John Oliver's original tenure before he left and came back again. So he's still rocking it. Such a wonderful ensemble and. So the setup for this episode is that they're taking their anthropology final yes. and they are um, 
it's a total blow off course because John Oliver has at some point in the season been put in charge of this class, even though he's not an anthropology professor. Betty White was their anthropology professor and like she got hit in the neck with a poison blow dart or something at yeah, some point. So and no one cares dead. about the class. He right. drinks throughout the. He's drunk all the time. The class, all they do is drink. And so they're, they're having this final, which is them standing around telling stories and right. being spoke in the wheels. The Dean shows up with a reporter from Dean magazine. Dean magazine. Who's going to do a, you know, they they want to observe the class and yeah. so John Oliver is sort of caught with his pants down. And then that that in and of itself would be a wacky enough premise for the episode. But we get the culmination of Shirley's pregnancy story that in similar fashion to Night Court has been gestating, if you will, uh, <laughs> over the, the last however many episodes. So the situation there remind me, her boyfriend is Malcolm Jamal Warner from The Cosby Show. Well, hubby. So ex-husband and now uh, soon-to-be husband again. So like her whole story arc is that she, her husband was cheating on her. That's why she comes to the community college in the first place to like better her life and, and you know, after she's gone through this divorce. And then at some point during season one or maybe early season two – he changes his ways and comes back and and she's like yeah well you need to to prove it to me and there's a halloween episode where it's like a zombie episode where the the food that they're serving at the halloween party the dean has these mres that he's found and that's the food that they serve at the halloween party but it turns out that they weren't military surplus they were poison and so they were meant to be thrown away mm -hmm. and it turns everybody into a zombie and during that zombie episode that halloween party episode chang and shirley are out of their mind you know crazy with the zombie disease and they go uh and they have sex in the bathroom right so there's this question looming over it mm -hmm. is it the baby of chang ben chang who used to be their spanish teacher uh, but is no longer. Right. He's been he's disgraced. Ken Jeong. He's yeah. just he's a sort of like semi part of the group. No one likes him. He's kind of like absolutely a, crazy. <laughs> right? Is it is it his baby or is it Malcolm Jamal Warner's? Right. And so that uh, she starts going into labor in the class. So that's sort of what made me think of the bottle episode type thing. Right. We're gonna have all the characters in one setting. We're gonna have just a crazy sort of a, a you know boiling crucible of wackiness transpiring. Yes, and they unlike these other shows where they didn't really have another story to tell <laughs> other than other than this. There's multiple like ABC plots happening within this classroom, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a little sort of sideline love story, I would say, like the E-plot between the two, um, you know, chunky right. characters. Right, the two students that aren't even part of the cast. That, right. That's another sort of meta touch yeah. is they're going like, hey, remember when all those guys left town for a few days and we could actually have, you know, everything wasn't all about them. It wasn't about them for a change. That They, they made that joke. Right. And yeah, there's the Donald Glover and Abed. Yes. They have their fun little story where they have a special handshake that – uh, Chevy Chase wants to do an indecent proposal and like give them a thousand dollars so they to to let him in on their handshake and it kills the magic of that. It's it's a very fun sort of Super simple. Super fun. Little... His his thing he wants to do the handshake to is Betty Grable. 
Yeah, yeah, Betty and they're Grable. like, "Who is Betty Grable?" Um, the thing I like about that bit is when he when he makes the offer. Of course, they both immediately recognize it as indecent proposal. They look mm-hmm. at each other and they're like, "Indecent proposal." And then both of them, one of them says Demi, and one of them says Woody Wait. or whatever, and they like you know they call the opposite. So you know they're like, "Oh," and they give each other this look like this is why we're friends because yeah, like one yeah. wants to be Demi, one wants to be Woody. Yeah. Their relationship is definitely you know it's, it's a, so a very magical part of that show. But in terms of the pregnancy, and this is why, even though you know this this show is is lovely, it does in a weird way continue the pattern of lionizing the man's role. Because Ken Jong, who's supposed to be such an annoying idiot throughout throughout all throughout the whole show, his he starts talking to her and saying these weird things about his family or oh, something. Oh yeah, Chang babies always come early, and Chang babies are, like they claw their way out, and Chang babies right. do this. His his nonsense at some point towards the end of the show, when things start really getting into it, turns out to be just what she needs, and actually yeah. helps her deliver the baby, you know, peacefully and and yes. correctly. But he isn't in as in these other shows the. The one who actually delivers the baby because Abed was like, I can do this. I delivered a baby earlier. It's right. fine. And and surely a good Christian woman as part of her character is like, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not comfortable with a man down there. Right. And she is just – she's not having it. So it's either Allison Brie or Britta. Britta. And, you know, so – First of all, everyone's drunk, and this we're also at a we're also at a time where Jeff and Britta are having a secret kind of romantic, mm-hmm. uh, sexual, not really romantic, but they're they're having sex, and nobody knows about it right now. In fact, the audience doesn't even know. We're going to find out about it in the next right. couple episodes. But we get some banter between them, and that's still fun. That's happening mm-hmm. earlier, and so you know, she's uh, Britta is very much like, well, I'm such a woman, and I know my body, and women, we know our bodies, and all of this, and and then prior to uh, Shirley even going into labor, she's like telling Shirley that she shouldn't have. Pepto Bismol because because it's bad for the baby and so many chemicals. Shirley's like whatever I know what I'm doing. Yeah, Shirley's like my doctor said it was okay. But so yeah, Britta actually facilitates the birth. Like you're saying, Britta delivers the baby. They shoot it in a weird way where she's like in underneath a curtain or something. Yes, yeah. So like there's a um, what's meant to be Shirley's skirt Mm -hmm. and then the camera as the cervix. And so you've got the you've got this like sheet, this like black sheet over the camera and Britta's head. And it's like, you know, she's kind of, she's almost crowning as she sees. Right. <laughs> and so that's, so Abed's kind of walking Britta through it. Like you need to look, you need to see if the head's coming through or not and whatever. And Britta, I think the first time she does it, she almost throws up and she runs away and is like, oh, I'm not really a woman and oh mm-hmm. no and whatever. And then Jeff comforts her in the corner. And then that's when Ben Chang comes back in, Ken Jung's character. And it, it turns out he's actually being helpful. Yeah. Well, so the reason that they end up having to do this, though, is because there's an international food truck fair that the dean has put on in the parking lot. Right. So that he looks like he is culturally responsive um, for this Dean Magazine 
mm-hmm. interview and it turns into a, a race riot. Yeah. And so they can't leave the building. The police and the paramedics are all dealing with the riot outside. And so that's how we get the bottle episode where they're stuck in this classroom. Yeah, they like to have fun with that thing of like, oh, there's something really interesting going on over there, but we'll tell you about that. We're not going to show it. Right. <laughs> uh, right. And so, yeah, you get, in a way, we're back to the night court model of a uh, big support system. Yes, right? we're back big support to system. Everybody's involved and it's, you know, uh, sort of like communal, <laughs> communal childbirth. Communal childbirth. Scenario. And the husband's able to, or the ex-husband, boyfriend, mm-hmm. whatever, Theo from um, from Cosby Show is able to get there yeah. uh, through the race riot make his way yeah. and um and be there for the birth and then baby comes out baby is obviously a black baby which a lot of black babies are born very light skin so it was interesting that like they they yeah. definitely had to make that choice cuz they the whole thing of the show was like is this going to be chang baby or is this right. going to be the show yeah the show doesn't get super deep into that they they yeah. have them instantly recognize it as Malcolm Jamal Warner's child and uh chang says well it's just as well because the one thing i didn't tell you is that chang babies are born with tails with tails and they were all like you know they give him a look and then so it's a, it's yeah. kind of a mega happy ending again it's yeah. you know every everything's kind of tied up the relationship between shirley and her guy seems good uh chang is, is sort of gracefully bowed out of the whole thing and well and then Shirley names the baby Ben right right and then Andre that's that's uh Shirley's boyfriend husband ex-husband's name Andre goes so Ben Bennett then right because Shirley and Andre's last name is Bennett (laughs) and And Shirley goes oh Ben Bennett Okay, Ben Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> and they so, just gotta go with it. <laughs> yeah, they'll have to think more about that, I guess. But yeah, I I don't know. I sort of stand by my hypothesis that it's another one of these cases where, you know, they 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 want the characters to have a baby for whatever reason, but uh the actual birth, I don't know. You just you have to kind of come up with this wacky uh scenario because, you know, there's just there's there's nothing else. Well, so here's the thing. The whole premise of community is that every episode is them doing another thing right so they even have an episode i don't remember what season it's in that's called bottle episode where they're all sitting around the table and they're like oh my god is this a bottle episode this is not a bottle episode and then they do that thing but this is so on brand to pick a you know, oh, we have a character who's got to give birth, you know, at mm-hmm. some point we've established this whole plot line of the baby, whose is it and all this. So they're going to have a birth. Of course, you're going to do it in this sitcom tropey way. And they didn't do like, this is what I love about community is that they take the the genre or the the trope or the thing that they're, whatever it is that they're um, sending up yeah, the and they cliche. they do it well yeah right like they didn't just have surely have birth in an give birth in an elevator and like do same same they they did something different with it they did it by the way in anthropology class when they're having a race right outside they're having racial tension inside because they can't figure out whether or not this baby is going to be black or this baby's mm. going to be chinese and there's all that sort of tension that's going on there and it's it's so like it's so spot on. They just they just nail it. 
Yeah. No, it's really good. It makes it it, it makes it different from all the other ones because it's sort of like you can't really like criticize it because it itself is a criticism of, <laughs> or critique in some way. Right. Yeah. It's it's taking another look. And finally, we get somebody dealing with the umbilical cord. Britta cuts yeah. the cord and it makes sense. Yeah. This one, yeah, we get so we get more accuracy. I don't think we get any pointers in this one in terms of like make sure you squeeze the shoulders. No, but we we do get instead of look for the head, we get uh Abed says the word cervix. So mm-hmm. he's saying, you know, see if the head is is po- is coming through the cervix or has passed the cervix. Sure. So so what do we think? Looking back on these, most valuable player, best best episode, funniest, dumbest, anything, anything okay, stand best, out? Best episode by far, community, of course. Dumbest what, uh, is the We Represent the Lollipop Guild, um, elevator crashing, bull standing on his or kneeling on his shoes. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, they were all pretty dumb in terms of like you know uh yeah just sort of representing you know what what it would be to to have a child i mean like you said obviously the community is far and away the best in terms of like they actually have smart writers and they're 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 doing something with it saying something about it yeah otherwise i mean i guess i would I would give it to Doogie Hauser as like at least that one has a sort of straightforward sort of character arc that you can latch onto of like, all right, you get to see, you know, if you've been watching the show for these, you know, two and a half seasons or, or one and a half seasons at this point, you get to see your old pal Vinny in a in a crazy situation. In a crazy and situation. That's, that's maybe as good as, as we can hope for. <laughs> So now it's making me think about our trope selection. Like, are there tropes that lend themselves to better episodes or are, I don't know. Well, maybe, but I would say for the most part, good writing sort of by definition is avoiding tropes. Right. You know, it's like saying which cliches make for a great movie. You know, it's like, well, the great movies don't use cliches, you know, so... Part of what makes it fun to me is that they usually are a little stupid. And by relying on tropes, they're they're derivative and unoriginal by nature. But I guess you could say, well, at least if you go back further, when you see the origin of the tropes, right. then maybe those are the good versions. That's certainly the way it is with movies where you see like, oh, yeah. Aladdin was great because they had Robin Williams come and do his wacky celebrity impressions in, in an animated movie. And then you cut to 20 years later and every dumb animated movie has that and it's annoying as hell, you know? Yeah. And so it's like... Or or is it that the origin of them was just very basic and then the new takes are the things that make it more exciting, but when there isn't a new take, when it's just samey-same, I think that's when it gets kind of yeah. stayed and bored. I'm wondering about, so we know that, um, and we purposefully didn't watch Saved by the Bell and Fresh Prince, who also have this trope. You are very familiar with both of those episodes. So, I mean, if you were to put them in the rankings, better or worse, where would they fall? I mean, in terms of better or worse, I don't know. Like that that just is sort of your, uh, a matter of taste in terms of, you know, which, which, kinds of humor you prefer but what i would say is that they absolutely fall into the profile of 
rite of passage or interesting experience for a young man who needs to learn responsibility, right? Because it's 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 Zach Morris and young Will Smith, right? Two icons of, you know, they're right up there with Ferris Bueller of the, ah, we don't take anything seriously. We cut corners and don't do our homework and, you know, you love us anyway. And so, yeah, in both of those cases, it is like we're going to give these these guys a taste of real adult responsibility and, uh, you know, and also just sort of give the audience a shortcut to this sort of touchy feely, you know, just just showing them with a baby. And by baby, I mean, usually like a plastic thing wrapped up in a thing. And then you cut to a close up of a, you know, either that or it's a baby that's like a six month old child that they're passing off as like just got born. But those both fit the the profile. What I would say on the other end, you get stuff like The Office, where they imply that there's going to be a wacky, impromptu birth. And then it's kind of like, no, just kidding. We'll make it to the hospital. We're not going to do something that stupid. Right. And we did. We avoided, I mean, when we were looking for episodes for this, we we saw a ton where it was the plot of the show was that they almost gave yeah. birth in a wacky situation and but then made it. And so that I think became a twist in and of itself as that, you know, as the elevator baby or the the wacky place baby became a thing, then it was, oh, let's set it up like we're going to do the elevator baby, but we'll actually make it to the hospital. So, I mean, let us know, did we miss any? Are there are there elevator babies in your life? Are yeah, there that's what I really want to know. Yeah. Are there real elevator babies in your life or this real has like happened, of obviously. course it has. Of course it I mean it wouldn't come from nowhere. But also are there other episodes that we just yeah. didn't find? Oh definitely. Uh send them our way. Yeah. Okay, well, so much for the elevator babies. What are we doing next week? So next time, we are talking about pilot origin stories, otherwise known as backdoor pilots. Right. Backdoor pilots and the spinoff shows that they launched. Right. So we're going to take in um, Happy Days, which launched many <laughs> spinoffs, but we're going to look specifically at the first appearance of Laverne and Shirley on Happy Days. That is Happy Days Season 3, Episode 10, and then if you want to watch along, and then Laverne and Shirley, The Pilot, which if you're trying to find it, it was a little weird when we were looking it up. So the title of the episode is The Society Party, because there's only a few episodes on some of the whatever streaming service says that it has uh, Laverne and Shirley, it doesn't actually have the very first episode. So you're going to have to get a little creative and look up the Laverne and Shirley episode titled The Society Party, which was the um, very first aired episode. And then in our next round, we'll be watching the season finale, season two finale, uh, episode 26 of The Golden Girls. So season two, episode 26, entitled Empty Nests. And in case you were wondering what spinoff that was leading up to, that would be the sitcom Empty Nest, which um, the pilot for the, the title for that pilot is just pilot. So you can look that up as well. That's next week. And until then, we will declare this uh, segment of the sitcom study concluded.
Thank you for listening to the Sitcom Study. Tell us what you think or share your own TV tropes and topic ideas by sending a self-addressed stamped email to sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. It helps us boost those precious Nielsen ratings. The Sitcom Study is recorded in front of a live studio dog. Thank you.